Romans 12. Why don't you stand? We're going to read verses 3 through 8. I'm going to read them. You follow along in your Bibles. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father in heaven, I ask you to lead us through this text this morning. Father, we want to be the church that you have created, that you've designed, that you've gifted us with. I thank you for the believers in this room. I need them, God. I need them in my life. I need their truth. I need their service, their exhortation, their, their merciful encouragement, their leadership. God, I need those things. Father, I pray that you would show us how to care for your bride. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Verse 5, you can be seated. Verse 5 contains both a yeehaw and a oh no, okay? So let me give you those two. So verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. All right, that's the yeehaw. That's the, all right. That's the yes, all right? We are one body in Christ. What does that mean? That means if you're a born-again believer that you are joined in everlasting union to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That is good news. Every born-again believer, joined to Jesus, joined to his death so that his death counts on your behalf to pay the penalty for your sins, joined to his resurrection life so that the hymn we sing is true, one with himself, I cannot die, joined by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of every born-again believer. John chapter 7 describes that spirit inside of us as a geyser erupting within us of refreshment and help and courage, and guidance. And the Bible told us in Romans chapter 8 that we are joined to Jesus and that nothing, not life or death or powers or or demons or angels or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That is good news. The good news that every believer is joined, united, in everlasting union with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now for the oh no. So we, though are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now for some reason, people are not as excited about that, okay? Uh, People tend to be really excited about being joined to Jesus Christ and they tend to be not very excited about being joined to other believers. Why is that? Because Jesus is awesome 
and other people often are not, right? I mean, that's just the honest truth, right? Other people are sinners, and they disappoint us, and sometimes they're grumpy, and they say things that tick us off. And so we are not always excited about the scriptural reality that we are forever joined to other believers in a living relationship through Jesus. So here's the way it goes. You're connected to Jesus Other people are connected to Jesus. We are in one body. That means we are connected to one another in a living union. That means that what you do affects the church. That means that what the church does affects you. That means you can't not be a part of it. You are a part of it. If you're joined to Jesus, you don't get to opt out of the people of God. You either do it badly or you do it well, but you have to do it one way or another because you are literally joined to the people of God. Now, there are times where we're connected to something so loosely that it doesn't have any implications on our life. I was thinking about uh, about UFOs. Not often, don't worry. I was thinking about UFOs, and I was thinking, you know, how America feels about UFOs does not affect Woodward, Oklahoma. You know, I just can't think of any way that it does. Like, Like, if the whole East Coast starts, you know, just if they saw UFOs, and it just wouldn't affect, you know, Woodward. But if you live in Roswell, New Mexico, you know, and you own a little cafe, then whether people believe in UFOs or not has probably a big impact on your town. Now, what would it be for Woodward? It'd be oil, wouldn't it? You know, it doesn't matter who you are. If you live in Woodward, Oklahoma, you're affected by the oil industry. You're affected by oil prices. So let's say you have a government job and your, your income doesn't go up or down. Your benefits don't go up or down. You don't lose your job or gain a job by, by the oil industry. If you live here, you're still vitally connected to that industry, right? The price of your house. What determines the price of your house? Well, in Woodward, Oklahoma, it's not whether you put in a new deck or whether you put in... A lot of it depends on... What oil prices are, right? The traffic in Woodward, the, 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 the policies of our city government, most of those things are, are determined by the oil industry. Why? Because we're vitally connected. Well, here's the way it is in Christ. You are vitally connected to the church. And so what happens in the church affects you. What you do or what you don't do. Here's what a lot of people don't understand. You, you can't just pull out. You, you pull out and you're like, yeah, I don't want anything to do with the people of God. I still want to be connected to Jesus, but I don't, I don't like the people of God. Listen, you can't not have an impact on the church because you are joined members one of another, okay? If my index finger decides it's going to go a different direction in life, that's a bad deal for me, right? I mean, the rest of my body can't say, well, I don't care about that. No, I deeply care about that. I like it right where it is. You break it off and take it somewhere else, I don't, I'm not happy about that, right? It affects me. I can't point anymore, right? There's, there's implications to being the church of Jesus Christ. We are vitally connected to one another. So much so that Matthew 25 tells us that the judgment day, he He's going to separate the believers from the unbelievers, the sheep from the goats, and he's going to speak to each of them. You know what he's going to speak about? He's going to say, the evidence of your salvation or the evidence of your damnation, one of them anyway, is how you treated the people of God or how you didn't treat the people of God. And so this is a big issue. This is a big issue. We are literally the family of God. You know, I was thinking about a family, you know, when you, when you marry somebody, you, you become, because you're connected to that spouse, you become connected to other people as well, right? Now, it's not the same as a body, right? It's less, but it still is so. So much so that, let's say you get married, and then you're, you're driving out of town on your honeymoon, headed to Colorado, and you lean over to your spouse, and you say, honey, I've been waiting to, to tell you this, but 
Uh, I, I just want to wait till after the wedding, but but we are not going to be connected to your family anymore. You know, that that's kind of it. Um, I don't like them. They really annoy me. And so as of now, we are breaking all ties with them. We'll probably never see them again. And don't, don't worry, you, you don't have to do anything. I, I went ahead and mailed a letter yesterday to all of them telling them that we would never see them again after the wedding. Thanks for the wedding, but, you know, don't, don't expect to ever see us again. You know, that's probably going to cause damage, okay? I mean, depending on who you married, you, you may not be married anymore. Actually, I don't know, but it, it's going to cause some sense of damage to disconnect there, okay? Now, how much more, when we're not talking about a family, we're actually talking about a body. That is the illustration that we're given in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and other places in the Bible, is that the church is a body, a living organism in which we are connected to the head who is Jesus Christ. So you are in Christ and you are in the body, which means you're connected to Jesus and you are connected to other believers. Now, point number two is in verse six. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. All right, so the next thing Paul tells us is that everybody in the body, and by the way, everybody is is the right term there, okay? So Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, but if we go into 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, as each has received a gift. If we go into 1 Corinthians 12, it says, as each has received the manifestation of the Spirit. So the Bible emphasizes that every born again believer, if you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. If you don't have a spiritual gift, you're not a Christian, Right? Every every Christian has one. What is a spiritual gift? Well, it is it is the way the Spirit uses you to build up the faith of other believers. First Corinthians twelve, seven, I think, is the best definition in the Bible of spiritual gifts. It says this to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, so to every born again believer, God God the Holy Spirit manifests himself. He reveals himself. He reveals his truth. He reveals his conviction. He reveals his power through that believer in a unique way for the building up of the body of Christ. That's how it works. Now, one of the things you're gonna see in the Bible is that it emphasizes the different gifts that we have and the differences, the variety in the body of Christ. My my first 20 times reading through the New Testament, I couldn't figure out why Paul so emphasized this. The entire chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is all about the fact that we are so diverse in our gifts. We're so diverse in, in, in who we are as believers and that we ought to be unified in that diversity. And then he hits it again in Romans. And then he hits it again in Ephesians. And I kept thinking, why is Paul so adamant about that? But what I began to see is, is that none of us, not, nobody in the New Testament, and I don't think anybody today, we don't handle that real well. That's why there's so much teaching on it, is that we don't handle our diversity really well. Now, here's what's true of all of us. Not only are we diverse in our gifts, we're diverse in everything. When you think about the church of God, you, you, you pull all these people together this morning, all three services, we have different personalities, we have different backgrounds, we have different trials, we have different opportunities, we have different struggles, different cultures, different battles, different, different viewpoints, different, different temptations. I mean, you got some people that are saved out of a life of drugs and alcohol, you got other people that are saved out of a life of abuse, you got other people that are saved out of a Christian family in which they were nurtured and brought up in the admonition of the Lord. You have challenges, you got some people that are gonna walk home into a marriage that's hostile to Christianity, you got other people that are going to walk home into a family that supports faith. You have all these variety of life circumstances. And here's the thing. God is going to take care of his people. He's going to t- he, won't, he won't let his people down. And the way that he takes care of his people is by so gifting diversely the body that he meets those needs. 
You see, because all of us are in different situations, we have different personalities, we have different, different levels in our faith, different challenges, to meet that, he's going he's gonna to gift us widely diverse so that the body, so that every person's faith is built up when the body is working like it's supposed to. But here's the, here's the truth. We don't like that. As people, you know what we do in our sinful flesh? We gravitate toward people who do what? Think just like we do. And who value the ministries that we value. We gravitate toward people who, who, who function the way that we function. We gravitate people who, who do, people who are, who are used in spirit like we are. In other words, we, we all tend to group together in, in, our, in our particular, in our particular uh, giftings. And, and Paul says, no, you have to celebrate the diversity of the body because you need that diversity. You need it. The church needs it. That's the way that we function. Verse 3. Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than not to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Not, not, not only are we, we gifted diversely, but God has given us a different measure of faith. And, and, and the way that we must use our gifts, here, here's Paul's big push in Romans 12, is we must use them with humility. Okay, so, so why does he begin this passage on spiritual gifts by saying, hey, hold on, everybody. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. It's kind of interesting that Romans 12, 2, remember last week? How did it, how, how did, how, what did we study? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God's going to give you a new mind. Part of that new mind is not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Humility is an absolute necessity for rightly serving the Lord and rightly serving the body of Christ. Here has been the sad reality for me as a pastor. I have known people, known Christians, who were gifted exceedingly. They, they had very high giftings in several areas, but to my sadness, I never saw them build up anybody in faith. Okay? Now, am I saying they weren't at church? No, they were, actually. A lot of times, those people are the most faithful. But, but, but I never saw them strengthening. I never saw them exhorting. I never saw them encouraging. I never saw them. And, and a lot of times, I might see them doing those things. But you know what will undercut your ability to build up people's faith faster than anything? Pride. Pride. Pride will ruin it all. Pride will make you useless in the kingdom of God. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That channel of, of, of life and power and, and help that comes from the Holy Spirit through believers, when you are prideful, you cut off that channel. You kink that hose. You cork that conduit of God's grace. Okay, and so Paul says right away, before he even starts talking about the gifts, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Okay? You, you have to exercise your gift by faith. Okay, that's what he says in verse 3. He says, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So in other words, you don't have gifts that you can just use at will. You have to use them in the context of, of faith, of trusting Christ. So here's kind of how it looks, okay? So um, I come to my small group, and I come in faith. What, is, what, is, what does coming to your small group in faith mean? What does that look like? Well, that means I'm, I'm trusting Jesus, right? I'm looking to Jesus. I want to glorify Jesus. And so I come to my small group, and I'm wanting to glorify Jesus. And so because I'm wanting to glorify Jesus, I see needs, and so I, I see where, where I might be of help. And, and so I take a faith step there saying, okay, God, 
I am trusting you. All right, God, I'm, I'm trusting you. I see a need. I, I want to build that person up in faith. They, they've got to struggle right now. So, Lord, I'm stepping out, and I'm trusting your Holy Spirit to use me to build them up in faith. Lord, I'm going to go try to love them. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how that turns out. It may come out in teaching. It may come out in comfort. It may come out in exhortation. A lot of it depends on how I'm gifted and what the need of the moment is, right? But I'm acting in faith. That, that's what Paul is saying there. He's saying the gifts are to be used in humility according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to us. And so we act in faith. Now, folks, that point right there ought to give you, first of all, great confidence and courage to make some risk. You know, a lot of times, people don't step out. They don't step out and, and seek to build the faith of others. You know why? Because they think, well, man, what could I do? I don't know the answer. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help. I've never discipled anybody. You know, that's probably true. You, you know what's the reality, the, the, the really sad reality? There's a lot of people in churches today who I think, if you ask them honestly, they would say, man, I've been in church for however many years, and I have never been discipled. I don't know what that looks like. Nobody's ever, you know, come alongside and taught me the scriptures. Nobody's ever come alongside and disciple me. And that's a reality. And so you know, you know what that does? That, that hampers ministry. So a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not going to try because I'm not sure what to do. I'm not going to try to comfort because I'm not sure what to do. Listen, we ought to have great confidence in the spirit of God that he will use our attempts. That's what Paul is saying. That, that we don't do anything on our own. We do it by faith by faith in Christ. So it ought to cause us to step out and risk a little bit, to have some confidence in the Holy Spirit and to think rightly about ourselves, not arrogantly, not, oh man, my family's really lucky to have me or man, I really have the answers and I know, I know everything for everybody. No, you, you come in humility. You, you come not being intimidated by others, but, but saying the Holy Spirit will use me to build up the faith of others. Again, Paul says, according to the to the faith that God has assigned to us. God is never wrong in, in the faith that he assigns. Now, now let's, let's talk about that phrase for just a minute. Okay, each according to, this is in verse three, at the end of verse three, each according to the measure of faith, the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know what's true? Everybody ebbs and flows in their faith, right? I mean, I mean is there anybody here that would say, man, I was born again, I was right here in my faith the day I, I received Christ, and I've been a Christian for 20 years, and every day my faith has done this. You know, just up, 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 up. Just never, never a day of unbelief, never a day of struggle, never a day of doubt, never a day of, 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 of fleshly sin. No, I, that's not true, is it? In fact, Romans 14, the next uh, two chapters ahead, verse 1 says, As for the one who is weak in faith. Who's that? Well, it might be you someday, right? I, I mean, we... Maybe it was you yesterday. Maybe it was you 10 years. But, but we all ebb and flow in, in, in our faith. There are times when we have low faith. We all ought to be growing in our faith. And so the Bible tells us that when we have these seasons of temptation and weakness and doubt and trial and fatigue, man, am I thankful that God brings into my life somebody who he gives a measure of faith in order to minister to me. Right? You see what I'm saying? Am I, am I making this clear? So there may be a day when, when I have low faith and I'm struggling. I'm discouraged. And God gives Bonnie that particular day just a great word from the Lord in, in her Bible reading. And she comes into the office full of the Holy Spirit and encouraged. And immediately she sees my downcast look. And she's 
acting in faith. God, help me encourage my pastor. And she comes in and speaks a word of encouragement, maybe goes home. This is what Bonnie does. She writes a card, you know, encouraging me in faith with some scripture in it, puts it in the mail. And God uses the measure of faith given to her to be an instrument to build up my faith. Okay, that, that's, that's what Paul is describing here, the process he's describing. And what he's telling us is that pride will ruin all of that. Now, how might pride ruin all of that? Well, let's, let's talk about some ways. So if we go into 1 Corinthians 12, 21, the situation that he puts is, is someone who says, I don't need you. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 12, 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Paul says, be really careful that you don't become the person who thinks, I don't need other believers. I, I just need Jesus. Now, is that true, I just need Jesus? Well, in one sense, yes, it is. But in another sense, Jesus said he's going to minister to you through other believers. That's, that's how he's chosen to work. And so by saying, I don't need other believers, essentially you're saying, I don't need Jesus. Here would be a scary thing. Please, please self-evaluate right now. Are you the kind of person that you look back in your distant memory, two weeks, three weeks, a month, two months, three months, and you cannot think of a time, you cannot think of a time in the, in the, in the, dis, in the, in the recent memory where you have been strengthened in faith by another believer. So another believer came and spoke a word of truth from you to you. Another believer came and put their arm around you and prayed for you and built you up. Another believer came and spoke a word of exhortation and encouragement. You can't remember a time when that happened. Why? Let me give you some choices. Number one, your faith is so stinking high that you don't need any help from anybody. That's not the answer, okay? That's not the answer. I'm sorry. I mean, you might think that, but that's a lie. Option number two, you're a Lone Ranger Christian, okay? Now, obviously, you're here at church today, but you don't see church as a body of believers. You see, you see church as an event to attend. And you have basically put a sign on your life that says no sinners allowed. Man, I don't want any sinners in my life. And so you, you've boxed yourself out where, where you don't have any vital relationships where people might see your need, they might see your spiritual condition, and might minister to you. You don't have any of those people in your life. And so you don't have a distant memory any time where someone prayed for you, encouraged you, spoke truth to you, kept you accountable. You don't have that because you don't have those people in your life. You've resisted that. You've not sought it out. You've not pursued Christ in a relationship. That could be. Number three, it could be that you have the philosophy of saying, I'm not going to let anybody know when I'm weak in faith. So you're one of those people, how are you doing? Absolutely fantastic. Couldn't be better. Never better. How's your faith? Absolutely fantastic and wonderful. Serving the Lord every day. Okay. Sweet. Help me out then. <laughs> Give me some. Maybe you're one of those people. You don't want to, you don't want to ever admit need because here's, you're saying what 1 Corinthians 12, 21 says. I don't need you. I don't need you. It's me and Jesus. We're good. That's all I need. I don't need you. Paul says you cannot say, I don't need you. There's something wrong in your life if you're never the recipient of spiritual gifts. On the same token, we can't say, they don't need me. That's the other lie. It's coming and say, you know what? They don't need me. 
I'm not going to help. I'm not going to minister. I'm not, they don't need me. Y'all ever watch football? What, what would happen if the right tackle said, you know, that quarterback, he's, he's a prima donna. He just thinks he's all everything. I'm not going to block for him. What happens? The defense has a ball, don't they? Right? They have a really good time in that game. Paul says you can't say that, that you don't need people. So how do we minister to each other? Well, Paul gives us a list here of different ways that the Spirit uses people to build up the faith of others, okay? So the following things basically are ways in which the Holy Spirit's going to come in and He's going to use a believer to build up the faith of another believer. Now, is this list exhaustive? Are these the only spiritual gifts? No, 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 no. Okay, we have another list in 1 Corinthians 12. We have another list in Ephesians 4. There's overlap in those lists, but no list is identical, which probably teaches us that the Spirit is going to use a variety. In fact, that's what 1 Corinthians 12 says, a variety of ways. Okay, but this is some examples. All right, so let's talk about them real quickly. First one is prophecy. Now, this one I almost skipped just because I'm not trying to be controversial here, and I don't have time. You know, obviously, I was late into the second service. I made it here, but I was coming in. Especially, I don't have time to, to unpack all of it, okay? Because let me tell you where people are. There's some people that believe that that gift of prophecy was only for the New Testament church, okay? Only until the Bible got written. So they, they would see prophecy only in the limited term of, like, God giving the inspired word of God through prophets to the church, Okay? Other people see it as simply preaching, what I'm doing now, okay? And then you have kind of a middle ground people here who would say prophecy is not teaching. And obviously it's not teaching because he says teaching here in just a couple of minutes, right? So it's not teaching. It's not expounding the word of God, but it's really rather speaking truth into people's lives. So I, I would kind of look at it as biblical counseling. So someone comes in with a situation. Man, I got this situation in my work. I got this situation with my family. And, and someone kind of speaks a word from the Lord into that situation. I actually think that's what he's talking about. I do because a couple different reasons. One is in 1 Corinthians 14 when it talks about prophecy in the church. It says in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Okay, and, and in 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21, it says don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Okay, and, and so I, I think what's, say, what's being said there is someone is kind of giving truth from the Lord that needs to be tested. You know, you shouldn't just receive it, which you should just receive the word of God. That's why I think it's, it's not talking about the actual inspired word of God. I think it's talking about truth that people give. So anyway, that's what I think prophecy is. So I think God gives some people a gift to kind of speak truth into people's lives. Okay. The next one, service. Okay. We're getting ready to head into vacation Bible school. And there is a, uh, there's a, a toilet back in the, by the nursery. Okay. It's in the children's area. So you got two preschool rooms and you got the nursery. Now, Ed, is this true or not? That toilet's going to plug up, what, about 12 times this week, I think? Because here's the deal about preschoolers. They not only want to do their business in there, but they also think, what else could I put down there, you know? And so, I mean, it, it overflows every, every week during Vacation Bible School, every year during Team Kid. You know how you pick out a servant? You pick out a servant because they're the ones running to the mop, okay? I mean, they're the ones that, like, they see a need. Like, man, I, I, I'm going to go. And they're the ones that do it joyfully. They're not the ones like, eh, I hate this vacation. I'm scared. You know, they're the ones like, hey, you know, I know we're getting it done. It's okay, Junior, you know. Just don't flush that car next time, you know. I mean, they're, they're, they're serving. I, I had the opportunity to help my dad a couple days this week up in Scott City. 
uh, driving grain cart for him during harvest. And there was a day where he was late, 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 late. And finally, we got a hold of him, and the, the, the back, the air brakes on his semi had locked up. They wouldn't release. And so I jumped in the pickup to bring him some tools and headed to the elevator. And I, when I got to the elevator, there were, there were two young guys from his church in their 20s, maybe early 30s, two young guys from his church. They had pulled over their trucks, which if you know anything about harvest, that's, I mean, the combine's waiting on you. They had pulled over their trucks and they had got out and they were underneath that. One of them, in fact, had drove his truck home through about three miles, either about three miles from the elevator and got his pickup with all of his tools and come back. And they're underneath that truck with my dad. Now, now, there's a whole lot of other guys that were like, hey, Rick, see ya. Hope you know. I mean, everybody knows him in that community. But these two guys from, from his church, they saw a need, and they were servant-hearted guys. I mean, that, that's, that's the gift of service. I mean, Pete, God just anoints. Pastor Andrew this morning, you know? I mean, like, like, I got no sermon, you know? And here he comes, happy as can be, joyful. Well, Pastor, you know, I'm not sure we're going to figure it out. We could try this, try, you know? Bam, he does it, you know? I mean, God, is, God has gifted him in that way to minister to others. Next one, teaching. It says, uh, if service in, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching. I would say teaching is expounding, explaining, and applying the scriptures, okay? And doing so in a persuasive way. Some people God has gifted to open up the word of God and, and to present it to people in ways they can receive it, okay? Now, teaching is different than truth pounding, okay? Some people, they want to take a truth and they, they're like all hammer, you know? It's like, open up, man. Wham, wham, you know? I mean, that, that's, that's, listen, I don't think that's a spiritual gift, okay? I do see it in the Old Testament prophets, but I actually don't think that that, I mean, it's not usually, it's not usually listed, okay? But teaching is, is God has gifted people in order to present truth in creative ways in which people get who Jesus is and what he's done. Okay? The next one is exhortation. So verse 8, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. The word exhortation is kind of a difficult word, and it's, it's, it's hard for some people to understand, especially because a lot of times it's used in, in the context of comforting and encouraging and charging. And so I want to try to explain it to you. Here's how I explain it to the guys in India. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Paul says, For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Exhorted, encouraged, charged. What do those three words mean? Here's how I would explain it. I'm on a hiking trip with my kids, okay? And there are times where I am exhorting them. Now, what does the word exhort mean? Literally, it means to come alongside, to come alongside with the aid of helping, okay? So when I exhort them, here's how it usually works. Hey, guys, come on. Come on, let's go. I know it's hot. I know. Come on, look, look, look up here. Oh, man, once we get up to that point there, we're going to be able to see the whole range. Oh, guys, guys, come on. Fox, over in the canyon. Come on, come on. That's exhorting. I, I'm calling them forward. I'm urging them forward. I'm, 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 I'm helping them to go forward, okay? There's other times that I must encourage, which is more of a comforting word, you know? That's when you come back and you're like, man, are you tired? And you look tired, but you're doing great. You're doing great. You got any blisters? I got some Band-Aids in my backpack. You need some water? Okay, that's encouragement, right? So exhorting. Come on, let's go. Encouragement. Hey, man, can I help you? Charge. That's more of a forceful word. That's like at the end of the day. Hey, guys, we've got to get down. Storm's coming in. You want to be struck by lightning? I don't think so. Let's go. Get moving, right? That's a charge. 
right? And so, so the Bible says that God has gifted some with exhortation. I think he's gifted some to encourage and doesn't say that here and also to charge, but he's gifted some in the, in the spirit of exhortation. They're the ones that are like, hey, come on, come on. You'll probably meet some of these people this next week, okay? Here's what I anticipate happening. You're gonna see somebody in about a week and a half and they're gonna say, hey, have you been reading the book of Proverbs with your family? Man, it's been cool. We were in Proverbs 5 the other day. I had no idea that was all about sex. Man, what is pastor doing to us? But we read that, and I told my kids, What'd you, what verse stuck out to you? And my little one said, verse 12. And I was like, oh, no. You know, what are we going to do? You know? And, and you know, that's an exhorter. What's he doing? He's saying, hey, come on. We're, we're doing this. Would you come do it? You know, I hope you're doing it. I hope you're going forward. They're the kind of people that come into your small group. Man, how was your week? You know, did you pray with your spouse this week? Did you read your Bible this week? Man, did you have any opportunities to share faith? What is that? Exhortation, right? They're saying, let's go forward. Let's go forward in Christ. Some people, God uses. I'm so glad for exhorters. There's a lot of times where I'm dragging and someone comes and they're like, pastor, how's your faith? And I'm like, Okay, it's good, you know, let's go, right? I'm ready to go. I was dragging, but now I'm ready, you know? Your exhortation helps me go forward, right? What else is there? The one who teaches and teaches, the one who exhorts and is exhorting, the one who contributes in generosity. I am so thankful for the givers. Man, I'll tell you what, Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church has been blessed with a bunch of givers, okay? This is, this is cool about our church. We always have an abundance of opportunity for people to, to give, and so I can't tell you how many times God has just worked in, in our church to say, we got a need here. We have a benevolence need. We got someone who's struggling. We got someone who needs a, needs a car repair. We got someone who, who got an orphanage in India. Man, and God just responds over and over through givers. How about those who lead? That's the next one. The one who leads in zeal. We've got folks who provide vision and organization. They're the ones that kind of organize us to be able to go forward in Christ. You've got acts of mercy. Man, this is one that I'm, I'm just not gifted in. Okay, I try really hard and I pray. I think you should, and, but, but I'm just not real great at it. But, but God has gifted some people with the, the unique ability to, to bring mercy to those who are hurting. I've told you this story many, many times, but it's the best example I can think of. Uh, we were, my wife had had a miscarriage. We were in the hospital, and we had church members coming in, and, and some would, you know, hey, man, you're going to be okay. God's going to do good through this, and, you know, I'm sure maybe he may give you another baby and, you know, things like that, all good encouragement. But then we had a, had a lady come in, never forget this. She comes in. She looks at my wife. She's, tears start coming down her eyes, and she just grabs my wife, and they hug, and, and, and for a couple minutes there, they just cry together. And when they got done, it was like my wife was better. You know, I mean, she just was like encouraged. What, what, what did that person have? They had the gift of mercy, right? And, and, and so, so, so that's what mercy is. So God uses the church in a variety of ways to build up the faith of others. Now, last section. How do you know how God uses you? Okay, let me give you three steps. Step number one, have the intent on building up the faith of others. Okay, I, I'm convinced there's some people who never figure out how the Holy Spirit uses them. They never have a sense of what is my place in the church. You know why? Because they don't try. God's not going to send you a letter. Okay, he, He's not going to like all of a sudden just empower you to you know, do something beyond your will. You, you got to intend to build up the faith of others. When you pull up to your small group, every time, here ought to be your prayer. God, Enable me to build up the faith of somebody. Why wouldn't you pray that? You see, I, I'm convinced there's people that never pray that. There's people that never, like, they, that's not on the radar. 
They're not wanting to build up anybody's faith. They're not wanting to encourage the faith of others. But every time you come to church, really, every time you get up, ought ought not you to pray, God, use me today to encourage my husband's faith, my wife's faith, my kid's faith. God, use me to encourage the faith of others. You've got to be intentional about that. Number two, step up and attempt to meet the needs that you see. You know what's true? There's likely to be somebody, maybe more, maybe a group of people, who this week, that, that water's going to be flowing out of that toilet in the back there, and they're going to be standing in the fellowship hall looking at that, and they're going to say this. They're going to say, man, I hope there's a servant that comes around, you know? <laughs> hey, if you see the need, it's likely a call from God, right? Now, maybe it won't end up being your primary gift. But if I see that need, I'm going to go. I I just told you, I struggle with mercy, right? Tuesday, I read a passage of Scripture with some guys at McDonald's, and and we were making an application, and there was a verse in there about gentleness. And I said, guys, man, that's my prayer is that God would help me to cultivate gentleness because I just forget that. I I, I had to text them all. I texted the group about 2 o'clock in the afternoon and said, well, I've already failed three times, but I'm still trying, you know. I mean, it just does not come natural to me. Like, I miss it. Like, like I'll be with my kids, and, and, and we'll be going to school, and I'll be like, you know, exhorter. I'm the exhorter. Let's go, man. It's a great day. This day the Lord has made, you know. And I'm, like, tickling them and playing with them. And, and finally, the one will be like, Dad, just leave me alone, you know. And I'm like, oh, are you okay? You know, I mean, like, I missed it. Like, I just don't see it. And so I got to pray. But listen, that doesn't mean I don't ever have the role of comforter, Right? Like, it doesn't mean that when someone has a death in their family, I don't send them a card and say, hey, I ought to come over, but I don't have the gift of mercy, so I'm sending somebody else, you know? It doesn't mean that. You try. Whatever need you see, give it a try. See what God will do. And here's what's going to happen. As you try to meet needs, God's going to eventually move you. He's going to show you, man, he uses you this way a lot. You need to run here. You need to focus. You need to do all these things, but run here. Here's your primary way that God uses you. Finally, listen to other people. Listen to other people. I was at Spring Hill Baptist Church. This story I've told you before. I was about two years old in the faith. The church had recognized that I had some gifts in teaching, so they'd put me in the youth group. I was probably 19 or 20 years old. And I'd served teaching the youth for about two months. And the Sunday school director came in after Sunday school. And she said, Jason, are you happy here in this class? And I said, yeah, it's great. Great kids. She said, good, good, good. She said, well, we were just thinking that maybe you're gifted more with adults. Maybe there's a senior adult class open. What would you think about switching? I said, hallelujah, praise Jesus. That is the best thing I've ever heard. Because really, I, I didn't enjoy being in there, you know? I mean, it, it was, especially at that point in my life. I think I would enjoy it more now. I'm, I'm better, I think, with youth now. But, you know, I was like 20 years. I didn't understand myself as a youth. And, and it was funny because as we walked out, um, like all the church, there's only about 35, 40 people in the church, and they were all like, like looking to see how it went. Like they all knew, you know? And they were afraid that like I was going to be mad and leave, you know? I wasn't mad, but, but here in a week and a half, 
the man up is going to be about 2 Samuel 12, where Nathan confronts David. Now, one of the spiritual characteristics of a, of a godly person is that they, they listen to other people. And, and so what Donna Wallace was telling me was, man, I, I see your giftings in another direction. Now, now, does that mean we have to always do what people say? No. But, but you, know, you, know, you know what won us, what immediately won me over about Donna Wallace? I knew she loved me. I knew she loved me. And so, man, it made it really easy to say, you know what, I'm going to listen to what you say. When I was ordained here at Lincoln Avenue about 19 years ago, right here in this building, Gary and Donna Wallace took off work and drove whatever that is, seven hours, and sat through a two-hour service and then drove back for my ordination. Now, when those kind of people speak into your life, you ought to listen. So, church, here's the, here's the deal. You're joined to Jesus. Yeehaw! That means you're joined to every other believer in this room. Uh, but it's good, right? God has gifted you. God has gifted you. Your personality, the way the Spirit of God works in you and through you, is exactly what this church needs. It's exactly what other people in this room need. A lot of times when I say church, you know what you think of? Programs, right? When I say that's exactly what you, you're like, okay, which, which ministry do I need to get into? Uh, uh, hold on. When I say church, I, I, I mean people, people, okay? And so be courageous. Man, I, I'm telling you, don't be somebody who's never willing to risk jump into relationships first, right? Because if you're not in relationships, how are you going to minister to anybody? Nobody knows who you are. You don't know who anybody else is. Relationships. The church. Number two, see a need. Step out in faith and meet it. And what you're going to find is that God is going to use you in a variety of ways, but he's going to narrow that down to where you're going to see, aha, this is where I'm gifted. This is where I'm gifted. God, I just pray that you would build us up as a church, that you would enable us to love well, to serve each other well, to use our gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. God, help us to do so with great humility, understanding that you've assigned to each of us a measure of faith. We thank you for giving us the church. In Jesus' name. Amen.